The following views expressed are those of the speakers and do not represent the views of DOD Arts Components. Pay attention because you are now listening to Permission to Speak Freely. 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 Super excited about this episode. But before I, I, I talk about this episode, I do want to say I just got a phone call. I was in a gym. I just left the gym. I got a phone call from a friend of mine's wife, a friend of mine, uh, somebody I served with, veteran, uh, just tried to commit suicide yesterday. Whoa. Just tried to, yeah, just tried to commit suicide yesterday. So I received a text, um, 988. 988 is the number for the lifeline. So uh, please call that, right? We got to cherish each other. People are delicate. Relationships are delicate. Life experiences are delicate. And I say that because this is somebody that I served with. And um, at, at some points of time, I might've took for granted, like the relationship that we had, you know, and um, the moments I'm, I might not have cherished them, you know? So Eric, I hate to start off like, you know, just on that note, but that's really just how I came into my morning, you know? Um <laughs> Oh man, that's heavy. Yeah. You know, tomorrow is, uh, tomorrow is the anniversary of, uh, I don't know if that's the right word, but, um, a, a very close friend, um, uh, and teammate of mine committed suicide on, uh, June 9th back in 2017. So tomorrow, um, me and a few of his, uh, a few of actually a few of his college football teammates, are meeting meeting up here in in Omaha for a memorial workout for him, but uh, I think I think now um, I think I don't know the the stats here. I think it's it's gone. Veteran suicides have gone down to from like twenty two to seventeen or eighteen a day, something like that. It's still very high. Yeah, uh, but I also read somewhere, and I don't don't quote me on this. Um, it was either special forces seals or special operations or something like that, where more, more had now committed suicide, uh, than were killed in, in combat. So it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty heavy. Yeah, that's rough. Hey, so for the listeners, I am, I'm joined by Eric Crowhart. Right. And we're going to get into everything that I mean, it's a whole lot. It's a whole lot. So we, we're going to get right into it. Uh, did you ever see a movie called Big Fish? No, I don't think so. Right. So uh, it's a movie by Tim Burton called Big Fish about this oh, guy. I remember the preview. I remember the preview. Yeah. Sorry. And it's, he like tells a bunch of like, like tall tales, like this guy, he tells a bunch of tall tales. And I, and I think the kids, they think he's like, like lying about it, then they find proof throughout throughout the years that he's telling the truth. And my mom, she always said that about my grandfather when he was alive. She was like, he just reminded me of Big Fish. He always had these tales, but like we would go to his house, it would be pictures of him and stuff like that. And I, when I think about people like that, I just think like, yo, these people, like they really lived. You know, yeah. like these people yeah. lived, right? It's a Lieutenant Commander, Johnny Kim, right? I'm not sure. Are you familiar with Johnny Kim, Navy SEAL? Oh, yeah. So he... He's a physician, a Navy SEAL, Silver Star recipient, astronaut, and he just completed his flight training. So he's a pilot, right? So this guy, like he yeah. lived like, four lives already, right? And, I'm, and I listen to your story, right? And every time I hear it, I hear like a whole bunch of humility, but like 
you lived, man. You like, I know you talk about like having like uh, nine lives, like uh, in actuality, like actually almost, you know, dying about four to seven times or something like that. But you, you, I look at nine lives, man, like you did a whole lot of stuff, still climber. Um, like well, we talk about like El Capitan and uh, uh, some two of the seven summits. Um, now on to Defy, uh, Farmer at a young age. It's a whole lot, a whole lot of stories that you'll have to tell your kids in the future. And I and I do. I want to start at uh, this sure. one, this one stoplight city, Sac City, right in Northwest yeah. Iowa. Um, growing up on a hog farm, right? Because that's where your story pretty much starts. That right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, now we have more than one stoplight. I remember, <laughs> I remember going back. I had, I think I had just graduated buds and then I went from buds, uh, seal training to, um, jump school, army uh-huh. jump school in Fort Benning. Um, Fort Benning. Yeah, that's right. Um, and the, the crazy thing was, uh, like the, I think it was the third or maybe the fourth time that I got on an airplane, I jumped out of it. So I had never been on an airplane until I joined the Navy. Then I flew to boot camp and whatever. So long story short, I finished, I finished jump school and then I go back to my little hometown in Northwest Iowa and like, all of a sudden there was another stoplight. So (laughs) they had put one in, uh, by the kind of by the new grocery store or whatever. But yeah, that's where, you know, that's where it starts. Uh, I grew up on yeah. a, a, a hog farm in uh, Northwest Iowa. And, uh, you know, I learned, uh, learned a lot there. Um, and it, it served me well, served me well in, you know, the way my parents raised me and the examples mm-hmm. they set. And then just the, uh, the lessons I learned and the, the tr- well, the traits that I learned just working on a farm and, uh, you know, hard work, um, obviously taking responsibility for, Oh, I left the, like if I left a, a, a gate open and a bunch of pigs got out, you know, that was my fault. Or if I ran over a row of corn or whatever, when I was cultivating, just all, all kind of things like that. So yeah responsibility as in being responsible for chores and getting that and then getting that stuff done, but then taking responsibility when you screwed up, uh, which happened a lot. And, uh, you know, I had like tractor accidents and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously, you know, showing up early, getting the work done, um, playing around on the farm, going fishing and stuff like that. But, uh, And then really one thing that helped me so much was like, there's so many, there were so many things on the farm. Like I get there and maybe my dad and uncle would say, Hey, today we have to do like this thing. Right. And whatever that thing was, it generally was not fun. Uh, (laughs) And it was going to be, it was going to take a while and it was going to be physical and whatever. Right. But Mm -hmm. you were never, ever like looking forward to it. Right. Like my job now, there's things that I'm like, Oh, we're going to do this meeting (laughs) and it's going to be, it's actually going to be fun. Like, Hey, we're going to talk about it. We're going to, we're going to talk about, and it's not always fun, but on the farm, like a lot of the stuff was hard and not fun, 
But the one of the huge lessons there for me was it like never ever did any good to complain. Like, yeah. And it never ever did any good to procrastinate. It was like, Hey, this is going to suck. And guess what? We're going to start now and we're going to get it done. And the sooner we start and the harder we work, the sooner it'll be over with. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was not like, that was not, uh, th- that was daily, often multiple times a day. So yeah. learning that skill early, um, I look at it now, like if I'm like just something as dumb as doing the dishes and I'm like, Oh, look at this kitchen. It's a mess. If I just say there's no use in complaining, mm-hmm. I'm going to start it and it's going to get done. So anyway, that was one of the most important lessons. Just dive in and just dive in. Yeah. It's, it's like a re- reoccurring thing that I, a theme that I kind of hear uh, throughout your story. And I hear a lot about dad, you know, but uh, what's some of the lessons that mom um, instilled in you? My, well, they both gave me so many lessons. Um, you know, I as a boy, you know, working on the farm, I was going to spend more time with my dad. Right. Uh-huh. And my mom, um, you know, my mom was a nurse. So it's not like I could just go hang out at the hospital and, yeah. you know, check people's temperatures and stuff. So, uh, but I, I learned, I learned just as much from my mom. Um, I think one of the coolest things I learned from her that, that also served me well, um, like she was just so calm mm-hmm. and there was always, you know, I had, three siblings. I have three siblings, two brothers and a sister, and we're all playing different sports. Our house was just always chaotic. Everyone was doing something. Both my parents are working. All the kids are doing something, you know, just constant chaos. Um, And my mom was just always calm, uh, like in the eye of the storm. And that it wasn't like she like told me, Hey, calm down or you should be calm or whatever. She just modeled it. Yeah. She was a, an example. She was a great example on that. And I, I took that with me without realizing it. I took that with me into the, you know, into the military early mm-hmm. on. And then it really, it really served me well, you know, after getting through training and going to combat and just, Hey, the ability to, uh, well, rewind, even in training when things would be very chaotic in like a great example would be buds training when you're, you know, doing, doing something that is designed to make you, um, I guess, get flustered, mm-hmm. right. Uh, or to get you to panic. Um, I've, I just had a really natural ability to just take a breath look around and just kind of calm down really quickly. So that helped me make it through my, my seal training, um, the ability to kind of just be kind of chill when a lot yeah. of people were freaking out. Uh, it helped me a lot, obviously in combat. Cause if you don't, you know, when the bullets are flying or IEDs are going off or whatever, if you can't just calm down and process the, the scenario, if you let your emotions get the most of you, if you let, 
if you get too excited or whatever, you'll make a bad decision. You'll make, you'll, you'll do the wrong thing, you know, that sort of thing. So, um, and, and now at work when things are chaotic, I can, you know, the ability to remain calm and make a decision or just now I have four kids, Yeah, you know, I have a wife and four kids and it's chaos around here, you know, on a nightly basis, especially like <laughs> it's summer and they're now out of school. So, you know, I have to just, I have to have that ability when there's stuff going on at work and the kids are doing this and someone's having a sleepover and all of a sudden, you know, just something happens. The, I think the ability to remain calm is mm-hmm. like really much a, it's a really important trait, and I learned that from my mom. Yeah. So, and then before um, before the Navy, you had a, a football career. You were inside linebacker in high school, right? Yes. And you went to college for it too, right? I went to I went to junior college in Mason City, Iowa, because uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, my senior year I was like all state linebacker. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm a big deal, whatever. And then I went to. <laughs> I went to college and, uh, I, you know, I, I kind of went to a community college thinking that, you know, it would be people, my, my size and my uh-huh. ability. Um, and I really kind of was hoping I would go to community college for two years and then I'd hit my growth spurt and I was going to yeah. get big and strong. And, uh, so I go to community college and, there was like some big, big kids there. And some yeah. of them were division one talent. And I couldn't even, you know, I wasn't even a starter. I think it was like a, a third string. They moved me to outside linebacker, but I was a third string outside linebacker on the community college team or on the JUCO team. I was, I, I was on the kickoff team. I was, uh, oh. back then they called it a wedge breaker. Um, but you just kind of run down the field and launch into a launch at someone just so that someone else could make a tackle. But, uh, I did that for a, a season and then I just kind of, at some point I realized like, Oh my goodness, this is not what I was, you know, designed by God to do. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> and at some point before all this, you like watch a movie, uh, with Charlie Sheen, right? The Navy SEALs movie with Charlie Sheen at some point, right? I, absolutely. Yeah. So this is a part of your life at, you know, just it's something that's in the background, I guess, when you play, like when you playing football and stuff. It's, it's so funny. Yeah. Like I, you know, I was born in 78. So I grew up, in basically in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, like, I, I think as like back then action movies were such a big part of our life. Um, my, I just have a, a very clear memory of my dad. Like we'd always rent a movie on a Friday, rent a movie at, you know, we didn't have a blockbuster in our small town, but we had a, like the gas station rented movies out. So, yeah. Um, he'd always, you know, rent a movie on Friday night and it could be, you know, like a, a Schwarzenegger movie or a Stallone movie or a Van Damme movie or a Steven Seagal movie, like all these kind of eighties action movies, mm-hmm. um, Mel Gibson, lethal weapon, all those, you know, die hard. Those are like 
very formative for me. And then, uh, you know, I remember the first time I saw the Navy SEAL movie, I think I was in middle school and yeah. uh, it was with Charlie Sheen and all of that. It was hilarious now yeah. looking back, but I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. So <laughs> that was like kind of, uh, we my brother and I watched that movie. I was in middle school and then we spent like, the next night just playing on the swing set, like it was an obstacle course. So, yeah. We used to do that. Like we watched Batman. All, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was, so it was, it was heavy on my mind. And then I don't know. I, so it was always there in the subconscious. And then I, yeah. there was another, you know, I was watching a movie on that in college. And then uh, I was like, I don't know. There was a light bulb. Like a mm -hmm. light bulb went off for me that I needed to join the Navy and become SEAL. Yeah. It was like a bet. Yeah. Someone said I couldn't do it. And, yeah. uh, you know, I bet, I bet her that I could. And I joined the Navy <laughs> the next day. Yeah. Did you ever see her again? Did you ever talk to her again? No, I don't even remember her name. She was dating <laughs> a friend of mine. Yeah. So, and it was literally like, a, you know, a six pack of natural light. So I don't think, uh, yeah, uh, it's not worth hunting her down to collect my so you, six pack of natural light. Yeah. You won a bet, but you never received uh, my, the, my the six award pack. for it. But you, no. then you, but then you join the navy, and, and and you actually do. You become a seal when you you finally fly. You said you finally fly for the first time in an airplane. Flying to yeah, from I think it was from Des Moines to Chicago, where uh -huh. you know I went from the Meps. Is it called Meps? Something like yeah, that. Mets, in, yeah. uh, and then boot camp is in Chicago. Did you choose uh, the rate you wanted to do? Yeah, it had to be a, back then it was called a source rating. Uh -huh. So there were certain rates that allowed you to go and be a SEAL. And there were a lot of them, but I chose, um, I think I chose Sonar Tech because it was like the shortest A school. Like it was four and a half weeks. So it got me, it got me to buds faster. Mm -hmm. uh, and as you know, like fleet sonar techs don't just go to sonar tech A school. They go to whatever, like B school, C school. I don't know what it's called, but they, they're not in the fleet after four and a half weeks of A school. They got to do a bunch of other stuff. That's one of those rates that. You got to score. That's a, a rate for smart people, <laughs> like pretty much because you got like a 99 right. on an ASVAB, right? I got a 99 on my ASVAB. And then they're like, you know, the recruiter was trying to make me a, a nuke, right? Because that was <laughs> a big thing back then, like a nuclear whatever. Yeah. I don't know what the rate is, but to be a nuclear engineer. It's, yeah, whatever. it's a bunch of different. It's a bunch of different rates. It could be an electrician, a machinist made. It's just the yeah. new classification. Right. And I was like, no, I'm going to be a seal. Like, yeah, I didn't bet someone I could go be a nuke. <laughs> I bet someone I could go be a seal. Right. And Charlie Sheen wasn't a nuke in that movie. He was a Navy seal. Dang it. Like that's what I was going to go do. <laughs> yeah. So you go to buds. Yep. And, and so uh, we, we, we talk a lot about the physical uh, aspect of buds and, and how hard that is, but uh, is it more of a test of will than a test of strength? Well, I mean, it's a, it's obviously both, right? Uh -huh. So I like to, I like to say it this way. If you took, you know, we started with about 190 kids, 
right? My age, anywhere from 19 to whatever, 24, however, I think the oldest guy was like 25, 26, right? Mm -hmm. And if you lined all 190 of us out in a, in a huge, it took a, like a panoramic, panoramic photograph with our shirts off. And if you knew in advance that only 19 of those people in that photo would make it, yeah. And I handed you a Sharpie and everyone had their shirt off and they were like flexing or whatever. <laughs> and you had to like six months before graduation, the day one, if you had to go through and circle the, the 19 people from that 190 that would make it, yeah. like you might've gotten one or two of them, right? Like, but you would definitely have not, you would not have circled me. You <laughs> would not have circled like so many people. So to answer your question, Physically, um, the more the more physically fit you are, which is not necessarily bulky or muscular or whatever, but the more the better you are at running and swimming and doing the obstacle course and doing the body weight training, which is the push ups, the pull ups, the sit ups, the dips, those sort of things. Like it will be easier for you, right? Because it just stands to reason if you are able to run. Um, and you don't get hurt doing it, buds will be easier for you. But yeah. everyone who shows up at that, everyone shows up on day one with, you know, varying levels of ability, but everyone is physically capable. Like everyone's physically capable of making it through. Yeah. Every, Cause they've passed a screening test to do it. The, the challenge is I don't think everyone's mentally capable of making it through. Right. Like you have to, really just be able to take it one day at a time, sometimes one hour at a time. Cause it is again, very miserable and you just have to be, you know, very mentally strong to make it through. Cause you will, uh, the instructors, no matter how good you are, they will take you to a, a point of failure mm -hmm. and, um, you know, you're going to fail or you just, your body's going to shut down and you're going to have to, you know, your mind has to take over at some point. Yeah. Was there ever a time that you thought that you'd be working on a farm as an adult? You mean when I, like, like I, when I was growing up or like, like, uh, that would be your career. Like, did you ever think that? No, no? Okay. no. it was, I, I went to college. I was going to, I, well, I didn't know for sure. Like I, I was actually pursuing, taking classes in college for criminal justice mm -hmm. and uh you know again movies had a big impact on me so i'm like ah oh, you know i watch movies about fbi and u.s marshals and yeah. stuff like that so i'm like i really want to be in the fbi or a u.s marshal right so mm -hmm. i was going to you know junior college and taking you know my general education classes um, I was taking a, an ag business class in case I ended up going to the farm, but then I was also taking uh, um, criminal justice classes and stuff like that. Um, mostly because I was like, I saw movies on FBI guys and U.S. Marshals and SWAT teams and stuff like yeah. that. So. so, so you call dad at some point. You tell dad, "Hey, I'm going to the Navy to become a SEAL." Um, and what's his response? Well, I actually told him in person. Okay. Um, so I had told him in my, uh, well, I told my brother first, 
right? My little brother, he's two years younger than me. We're very close. And he's like, what? Oh my goodness. It was like, you know, he was kind of floored. He's like, when are you going to tell our parent or when are you going to tell mom and dad? So, um, it was over, I believe it was over like Christmas. Um, so the, the football season had ended and sometime between that and Christmas break, I saw the movie and I was in the dorm room and I said, I wanted to be a seal. And then I went and enlisted. So I was on, it's called delayed entry, right? Yeah. So I wasn't yeah. going to ship out until sometime in the next year. So I told my dad and this, you know, really like is so powerful. He was just, he just like looked at me and I thought he was going to be so mad or so upset or whatever. Yeah. And he was just like, you know, I, the way he said it, he's like, you know, you'll be in a, you'll be really, I think you'll be really good at that. And he was very, you know, encouraging of, you know, this 18 year old who had just a crazy idea. (laughs) (laughs) And the way he supported it and the way he believed in me, I was like, oh man. Yeah, that's, that's good, man. We all want to have a parent that does that. Our parents that do that. Right. So you, because again, a lot of this is like you said, it's uncharted territory. You never been on a plane until you know, you join the Navy. Now you're jumping out of one and like, you know, your fourth time ever on a plane. And then, so you're in Buds now and never been in the ocean, correct? Yeah. Never, never been in the ocean before. Yeah, never even cool. seen it. I didn't, I, I saw the ocean like, like Baywatch. Well, Bay, Baywatch <laughs> was what I thought it would be. Yeah. <laughs> and then I finally saw it and then I went and jumped in it. I was like, it's freezing cold. <laughs> Yeah. And that's the goal, right? For y'all to be cold and tired and wet, right? Cold. Is that what it? Cold, wet, and tired? Cold, wet, and sandy. Cold, wet, and sandy. So how do you stay healthy? Like, like how does a person stay healthy uh, throughout this process? Well, you know, Bud's training is not designed to build you up, Uh right? It's not, it's not sustainable. It's not a, you know, it's a selection. So you're not like, you're going to get in shape for that but it's not going to be healthy for you. Right. Mm -hmm. If you like when you finish hell week and if you just, if you just went to a hospital after finishing hell week and they didn't know what you had just done. Yeah. Like they would admit you because they would be like, something's wrong with this guy. We have to do a bunch of tests on him because of all the, you know, the blood markers are all off. You know, he's got a temperature, or whatever, right? So it's not it's not actually designed to be healthy or build you up. Yeah. It is designed to select those who won't quit. Yeah. And the best way to do that is through these physical activities um that you're often you know, you're always tired, you're going to be always wet, always sandy always cold, always shivering. And that is, that's where it switches from being, you know, they're using these, this physical environment and these physical challenges to test you mentally. Mm-hmm. And it's a test. It's not a, it's not a program designed to, you don't leave there more healthy. You do leave there more fit in some aspects, but you're not like, you know, you're you're definitely not healthy and that's not the point. The, the only thing you can do is 
at night, you sleep as much as possible when you, when you're allowed to, um, you consume as many calories as possible. And, uh, you know, I was smart enough. Like I never got injured. Thankfully I was obviously I was younger, so I never got injured, but I would also, you know, I'd do some stretching and some stuff like that. So, yeah, but and it's not healthy. <laughs> yeah. It, it, you know, I asked that because a, a report, we lost a, we lost a, a young, uh, he, I think he just finished buds and he, he wanted a, a, a young guy recently he just finished buds and he passed away. Um, and then after that, a bunch of news stories were coming out and people were trying to figure out like things that like we could do. And, and I'm like, Hey, you know, we do this podcast and I was talking to one of my co-hosts. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not touching that. I don't like, we want, we want, I want sales to be elite, you know, uh, like, yeah, it's, it's sad to say this, but like every now and then it may be a casualty, you know, somebody might, you know, and, and whatever that community does to figure out how to yeah. like rectify that. That's for that community. But this electrician that I am, I have no say in how we, right. how we figure that out because I want this to be the most elite group of people that we have putting boots on the ground. You know, and yeah. that, that's kind of how I feel about that. one. No, it's a tough one. I actually, you know, I, I think he died in like a week after hell week. Like I think that kid had, um, maybe pneumonia or something. And there's yeah. some contra and, and he also had, there's some controversy around it too. Cause I read the article. Um, a close friend of mine was, uh, commanding, uh, buds training at this time and he got in trouble for it. And I, I, I don't know. I think it's, it's not his fault, but you know, yeah. in the Navy, if someone dies or whatever, like someone's going to get blamed and the buck yeah. stops here when you're the man at the top. But, um, I, Number one, it's a tragedy that anyone would die in training, uh, especially when a young man joins joins the military to serve his country, and mm -hmm. then and then volunteers to do the hard, like one of the hardest things hardest you can things do. do, like and and then for him to die in training, it's just very unfortunate. And people have died in buds training before; mm -hmm. they will die again. Uh, but there are some circumstances surrounding his death that are, you know, they're a little bit odd. Um, I know he had an enlarged heart and some yeah. other things that, uh, I think they even found syringes and drugs in his car. That's what it was quoted in the New York times article. Yeah, I so it. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, he never tested positive for any of those drugs and I don't, you can't prove that he was using them, but I know sometimes people do that to get an edge. Yeah. Um, it was less, certainly far less common when I was coming up and going through, uh, people are just more aware of that stuff now. Um, but anyway, I, I lost, you know, I lost plenty of teammates, um, in training, not just, you know, not just in buds, but like mm -hmm. after making it to the seal teams, um, we lost a lot of different teammates, um, you know, parachuting or, even a Humvee rollover or something like that, or, or, uh, a charge going off, um, a tr when you're doing like a breaching a door, uh, charge going off earlier or just something like that. Like people, if you're the harder you train, um, More prepared the easier the war will be. Right. Mm -hmm. And we would sometimes, 
seals are, you know, seals are very much uh, prone to training too hard, but that's what makes us so effective in combat. So we're going to always be pushing that edge a little bit too far. And, you know, once in a while we'll take it too far and someone will die, but it's, that doesn't make it any less um, tragic. So my, my question for you is this. So you make it through buds, but you don't make it through you make it through buds, no injuries, but not totally unscathed, right? Because what, you have kidney stones or something like that? Yeah, it was kind of strange. It was misdiagnosed. Um, I had this like side pain uh-huh. uh, going through and um, yeah, I'd go to medical and they're like, well, it's, it's kind of embarrassing, but they're like, they kind of diagnosed me with constipation, right? <laughs> yeah, IBS. And then they give me like... You know, and like in it's in Hell Week, and they gave me laxatives. It sounds like military medical. Like it's, it's no different. <laughs> you could imagine, yeah. So you could imagine, like, I mean, I never got the X-ray or the ultrasound at the time, but essentially, yeah. now that I've now, like, now kn- knowing what I do now, um, uh, where I, I later, I was later diagnosed as you know someone who could form a kidney stone if I didn't like eat a certain diet. Mm-hmm. Um, and take these medications. So as I look back, I'm, what happened to me in Hell Week was a kidney stone, right? Mm-hmm. And it eventually passed, and then I felt fine. And then I had, I had the, um, which is just horrible, right? Like trying to go through Hell Week and then passing a kidney stone at the same time. And I had the same thing happen to me. Uh, when I was in sniper school. So I spent the night in the hospital, had a kidney stone, and then they, you know, they released me from the hospital with just a bunch of Vicodin. And I had to go and <laughs> I had to go and take my, uh, one of my sniper school tests. And I was like still high on Vicodin and I couldn't even figure out how to <laughs> dial my, you know, my scope. So I finally yeah. got the diagnosis um, I finally got the diagnosis when I just had a, a kidney stone get stuck and yeah. that happened in, um, 2002 and we were at a, uh, we were at a, a training trip to Fort Chaffee, Arkansas. And again, I had this pain in my side. It wouldn't go away. It wouldn't go away. It wouldn't go away. Finally went to a civilian doctor where I got a, the right x-ray. And, uh, what some contrast and some other things. And they're like, this guy's like, man, you got a kidney stone that's stuck in your ureter, which is the tube between your kidney and your bladder. And your kidney looks like it's about to erupt, like explode because it wasn't draining. So they went in, uh, like right away they did like the sound wave therapy where they kind of like pulverize the stone with sound waves Mm-hmm. And then um, I got sent back to uh, Balboa Medical Center, uh, mm-hmm. Navy, and then they went in to try and like try and take a look at it. And you know, at that time, they um, while they were doing that, they decided to remove my kidney. So I ended up getting my kidney removed in 2002. I think it was 2002. Yep. And so I was basically. On the hospital bed, uh, I was, I was, 
kind of kicked out of the Navy because that was a disqualifying, a disqualifying medical condition. Yeah. And then our medic, uh, team five corpsman, he came there with a waiver and I signed a waiver to stay in the military waving like, Hey, I know this is a problem and I know it could be dangerous for me. Uh, but I signed this, uh, you know, signed this waiver to stay in. So now, now how coherent are you while you signing this waiver? I was, I had recovered okay. from surgery. I was told like I was in, I was in a lot of pain, but yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm staying in. I didn't go through all this to, to get out. So I signed a waiver to stay in the military. Now I would later find out that, that I was not supposed to, I, I don't have the waiver. So don't like, I can't say this with a hundred percent certainty, <laughs> yeah. But I was later told that the waiver I signed was a waiver that I agreed to stay in the military, but I would not deploy anymore. Yeah. And you found that out after a deployment, right? Well, after, uh, I think I did four or five more deployments after that moment. Damn. And it wasn't until, so it wasn't until I got injured in combat. Uh Um, and they, you know, I was getting a purple heart and you have to submit that up the <laughs> yeah. chain of command. And then I don't know. They're like, well, how's this guy getting a purple heart? They're looking at my record or something. And they're like, he's not even supposed to deploy. Crazy. So they show up the Bureau of Navy medicine either calls my skipper or shows up at the command. Uh, I was at dev group at this time. Uh-huh. And they're like, uh, you know, this at the time I was, I think I was a chief or a petty officer. I forget. I got out as a chief, but I don't know. But like, you know, such and such Froheart, um, how does he have a purple heart? He's not supposed to be deploying. Yeah. And, uh, my skipper's like, what? He had no clue. Like, obviously. And then, so they went to find me and, uh, I happened to be on Denali when they showed up. So (laughs) they're trying to say I'm unfit, you know, to, to serve my country in this capacity. Meanwhile, I'm camped out at 14,000 feet on Denali getting ready for a summit push. Yeah. So it wasn't until I came home from that mountain when we summited successfully. So I come home from Denali trip and I have to go through all this rigmarole and, uh, with the Bureau of Navy Medicine and I go through a board and all this and it's just kind of this back and forth thing and then finally they're like, hey, we're not going to let you deploy anymore. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I kind of fought it for as long as I could and then basically I, I lost that battle and, uh, you know, I didn't get a, you know, a lot of people in the military get their twilight tour where you, you know you're going to get out Mm-hmm. And because of that, you're going to go spend two or three years at shore, shore duty and start like kind of, you know, networking and uh, maybe taking some college classes or whatever. Like most of my friends have done this before they get out. Like they have a two or three year kind of twilight tour, yeah, if you co- will. Coast down and set yourself up for the future. But you, uh-huh. I, I heard you say somewhere you were like catapulted out. So you. I, yeah, I had go. like a couple of months and it was like you're out of the Navy. And then uh, I'm like, well, now what do I do? And I didn't have a pension. So I was medically, 
I was partial medical retirement without having a full pension, obviously. With three kids and a wife. Huh? With three kids and a wife, right? Yeah, wife, three kids, and basically, you know, diapers to buy, groceries to pay for. That that there right there is crazy. And I do, and that's that's (sighs) something that I do want to get into because a lot of young sellers, some people just stay in because they don't believe that, you know, they could get out and do other things, right? And you've, You've done a whole lot of other things after that day, right? Yep. But before then, I want to go back real quick. I want to rewind like real quick um, to your first deployment because your first deployment was right before 9-11, right? You went two weeks. two weeks before 9-11. And I'm assuming that 9-11 happens and you guys want to go out and go to act, like go get to go get active over there, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then at, at some point, right? Is this? Are you stationed with uh, our, our uh, on the same team as Jack Carr, the the writer at this at this yep. point in time? Yeah. Uh, so we were in Guam together at that time, and then I think we deployed like two or three weeks before nine eleven. Yeah, and then it happened, and then we got, you know, we did some. I think five weeks later, we were sent to the Middle East. Okay, and and you got a lot of action out there. You got a lot of action out there to the point that you've had a few near death experiences. Right? Well, and that first deployment was it was like it was uh, it, it was action, but we didn't go to Afghanistan. Uh-huh. We kind of flew around. We'd show up here, we'd show up there, and then we ended up in Kuwait, right? Yeah. And we were um, we ended up doing. Um, um, Mio in the Nag, so maritime interdiction operations in the Northern Arabian Gulf. Fancy name for uh, non-compliant shipboarding. So mm-hmm. our mission was kind of like to uh, board these ships that were coming out of like Iran and elsewhere, and try and like you know board these ships and look for you know, people and weapons and embargoed oil and things like that, uh, on these ships. So, um, it was, you know, it was a lot for my first deployment getting to, you know, do non-compliant ship boardings where essentially a, a large tanker or some sort of vessel is kind of like going, going out in the middle of the night and trying to get to certain water or whatever. And we would show up beside him in a small boat and throw a little, throw a little hook up on the edge of, you know, whether it was the line or the edge of the ship. And while it's moving in high seas at dark, climb up and then bring the team up and then stop the ship. So, yeah. and I got to do that. I was a couple of times, even I got to be the lead climber. So it was, uh, you know, I ended up doing some more exciting things later. Uh, but for the first, you know, my first deployment, like, you know, I had no complaints at the time. It was pretty, uh, it was pretty sporty. <laughs> yeah. And was that, did you, did you experience your first ID hit on that deployment or? No, okay. no. Okay. Those came later. Um, first time I was IED would have been in uh, Iraq. So okay. I, I actually had a... And we were, I wasn't so close to that one. So I got, I like close to an IED in Iraq and then a roadside bomb in Afghanistan. And then like the third time, you know, strike three, uh, IED was a houseborn IED that I was uh, very close to. And that's when Louie died. 
Yeah, that, um, that was the hard one. That was a uh, Super. Mm-hmm. Was that Super Bowl Sunday? Was that no? It was a couple of days after Super okay. Bowl Sunday was when uh, Mike and Nate died, uh-huh. um, and yeah, and then you know we just kind of. I think this was like two or three days later when we had surrounded that other building, and then uh, you know the, it it was rigged to explode. So yeah, so it's just a tragic a tragic week. Yeah, you know, tragic couple days for sure, for yeah. sure. And and it's really no like you know, and on a ship, right? Uh, we're regular sailors. If some, we lost a sailor, we lost a sailor um, on a on a deployment before, and we had some uh, some chaplains come out. They talked to us, and we pretty much had to get underway the very yeah. next the very next day, right? We had to go back to work. I think we might have got underway that same day. But um, yeah. for you guys, it's it's also it's like not really time them sit and mourn like these are people that are your friends you got to get yeah. right back to work and i'm um, after 12 years i'm sure that kind of leaves a, a lasting kind of impression on you you know just dealing with having to just be mentally tough enough to get back up and fight after you lost somebody that you shared a whole lot of moments with but it did yeah. affect because because you, you you went from being a football player right and i, I find it you know it's, it's one of those things that's uh, ironic because you went from playing football to like not being able to watch the Super Bowl, right? Yeah, yep. yeah. Uh, we're we're gonna watch it on and on AFN, uh, but then so we were in Iraq and we were getting ready to watch it on. Uh, do they still have AFN? By uh, the way, Armed Forces Network. I, I believe so. I like I've I've been on in the states for so long, and okay. we got Wi-Fi and stuff. I believe yeah, yeah, they yeah. do, like in Europe and stuff like that. Yeah, I think yeah, they yeah. Still have it. So the funny thing about AFN, and I always talk about this when I'm speaking, like everyone loves the commercials on the Super Bowl, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, on AFN, the the commercials are like kind of public service announcement uh, announcements, right? Yeah. Like, and so we were going to watch the Super Bowl, and we had like we had it all ready, and we had, you know, we had like squares. We were playing bets on squares. Uh-huh. Um, and then, you know, our pagers went off. We had to go get a an intel brief, and there was a a high value target in our area of responsibility. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so you know, that night we ended up like we thought we were going to get to watch Super Bowl. We go out, we do a mission. Um, one of the there were like a couple of different houses that we had surrounded. One of them had uh, people inside who were wearing suicide vests. Well, they came running out and they were, uh, they basically started to clack themselves off, you know, their vests mm-hmm. and they were just trying to get close to us. So they knew they were surrounded and they were going to die. So they just started running out of this building, blowing themselves up, trying to get close to us and taking us with them. And then mm-hmm. and another, the building I was going into, uh, like where I was the first guy into, um, I entered that building after, you know, I had to engage someone who came out towards me and he was wearing a suicide vest. So, you know, had to, had to engage him so that I didn't get blown up or my friends didn't. And then I went into the, into that first room and, you know, there was a guy in there who had, uh, kind of barricaded himself around yeah. this area and I didn't see him in the doorway and I got in and then, you know, he's not very far from me and he started like, you know, 
shooting at me full auto with his AK. And I, you know, it's just a miracle that he didn't, you know, he didn't get me. Uh, and we found out later, um, that he was wearing a suicide vest that failed to detonate. Mm-hmm. So that room, this small room where I was in alone with this guy, his suicide vest doesn't go off. And then he's missing me while I'm running down my wall, shooting him back. So, wow. and then not, not three minutes later, uh, another team goes into this small room and there's like four people that go into that room. Um, or they're on their way into that room and like four of them get shot. So two of them are killed instantly. And like two of them have, have other, like one guy gets shot in the leg. And like, so two of them are, two of them are injured. And I think they had to end the deployment and then two of them are killed. Obviously their deployment was over. So that happens all on Super Bowl Sunday. So I have this very like, a, like when I watch the Super Bowl and they play the national anthem and I just like, it's all very overwhelming for me. And I get very yeah. emotional now because uh, it's a trigger. And then I'm also that night, I'm, I'm almost kind of elated to be alive because of my close call. Yeah. But then very, you know, troubled by the, the fact that, you know, my teammates were, many of them were shot and two of them were killed. So, um, yeah. That happened. And to your point, um, the next night, you know, we had to be ready to go, mm-hmm. uh, right away. Cause there's no, you know, you don't necessarily get a night off. Um, there were no missions that next night. Um, cause it just, none of them triggered the following night. There was another mission. So that was our first mission post Super Bowl, And it was kind of a, not much happened on that one. No one, you know, no gunfights, no IEDs. And then the night after that was the night that, uh, you know, Louie was killed. And our, so um, that night, our team kind of, we had a small team of like six people. We surrounded this building. I was the, I guess, I, so I'm the point man, which I typically would be the first guy in the door. Mm-hmm. So I'm leading our team up to this, uh, this doorway. And, um, I veered off cause there was an open window and it was pointing through that window. And I saw people in the entryway getting ready for us. So I had veered off and I had, you know, had to engage people through that window. And as I was doing that, as, after I finished that, um, the building, which was rigged to explode went off. So mm. that's when Louie died. And then the rest of the, so Louie died and then the rest of the kind of six man team was injured. Um, and everyone was, so everyone's deployment was over except mine. I just had a concussion. Yeah. <laughs> so it was the, it was the over overpressure from that explosion threw me far enough away from the building to where I didn't get crushed. So everyone else kind of got crushed and you know, everything from, you know, one guy broke his arm, had to go home. And then, you know, our dog handler had two compound femur fractures. Mm. So, you know, it was a very, uh, you know, interesting couple of days there. And, and after that was over, you know, the next night I had to, so I had to stay in the hospital for observation just because mm. of my head injury. And then I got 
back to camp the next night. And then they'd, you know, flown over some, uh, some, some teammates from stateside to kind of fill, fill the team. And then, uh, you know, we were back up and running again. So we had to, you know, we had to go do missions. Um, there were still missions to be done. So, yeah, still things to do. you know, yeah. no, uh, no days off. <laughs> still a, still a country to fight for, you know, like it's that uh, it makes me like, man, yo, those stories, man, it just, it's still a country to, to fight for, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it doesn't stop. You know what I'm saying? And, and man, I, I feel like with like your SEAL career, like, I feel like we could go through it. That's a whole episode in itself, man. You know, but yeah. a lot of a lot of a lot of what you've done uh, are whole episodes, you know, in themselves. Because at some point, while you're a seal, you start climbing, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was, that's kind of back to the whole. You know, one th- a theme of my career and the teams, well, just my life in general is like steep learning curves. <laughs> so I never get on an airplane. Then a couple of times later, I jump out of it. (laughs) I never seen the ocean. Then I go to buds, right? Um, Climbing is, is a great example. I've never climbed a rock in my life. Mm -hmm. And I show up at, you know, a, a seal team and a brand new guy. And my, my team leader is like, um, He's like, he looked at me and the other new guy when the other guy was bigger. So he said, he points at the other guy. He goes, you're going to be a breacher. So that's a guy who puts charges on the doors and kicks down doors and stuff. And then he looks at me and he's like, you're going to be our lead climber. Um, so I'm like, okay, I didn't know anything <laughs> about climbing. And uh, so I do a, I go on a trip like a, I do four days of rock climbing at Red Rocks in Lake in in Las Vegas. Uh-huh. Um, that trip was put together by a close friend of mine named Heath Heath Robinson, who later died. Senior chief. So I go I go to um, Las Vegas for four days, and then I do another four days of climbing down in uh, Australia. Uh-huh. So I have like I have like eight actual days of rock climbing under my belt before my first day on El Cap. Mm-hmm. So then we, we show up out at, you know, Yosemite. We do, I think one day, maybe two of kind of training climbs on El Cap, just practicing aid climbing and, and setting up portal ledges and hauling our supplies. Cause it's very complicated type of climbing. Yeah. And then, um, <laughs> And then all of a sudden we blast off and we, you know, we climb El Cap. So I was on a free man climbing team. We took turns leading, leading a pitch, cleaning a pitch, and then hauling gear. And for us, you know, it took, uh, I think it, three, three days. days. Yeah. yeah. Three days. At this, so at this, do you cross paths with Alex Hanel, like while you're like there on this trip right here? Yep. And I didn't know who the kid was. Uh-huh. One of my, one of my friends did, who's a, you know, he's obviously he was more of a climber and he's like, he's like, that's Alex Honnold. And he was like in the El Cap Meadow looking up at the, you know, looking up at it. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> yeah. like, who's that? 
Like, I don't know. Like, I knew who I like. I knew who football players were. I didn't know who climbers were, right? Or yeah. whatever. So you know, it, it's just so funny. And then obviously later on, he would like climb a harder route on El Cap without a rope. So that I cannot fathom. Yeah, yours was what it's called, like tangerine, <laughs> the Tangerine Trail or something like the that. The Tangerine Trip. Tangerine yeah. Trip. Okay. Yeah. And he could probably he could probably climb that in a couple of hours. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> took me three days. Yeah, and for anybody listening, this this is the guy from Free Solo. That's who that's who mm-hmm. who that is. Now you climbed. Uh, yeah, uh, Heath Heath Robinson and you. Uh, y'all had a plan to do. Was it a plan to do all seven summits or just to do some of them? Well, I mean, Heath wanted to do them all, uh-huh. uh, and you know, no one could stop Heath if he had it in mind. Like it was going to happen. And I, I was, I was not into climbing. I just kind of got like, Oh, I'm along for this ride. (laughs) Like, so, um, we had some, a couple of guys, uh, he's put together the trip for Denali. So we went and climbed Denali in 08, as I kind of mentioned previously. Um, next on the list was Aconcagua. We did that one in 09. Mm-hmm. And um, I posted the other day. There's a there's actually a photo behind me of of those two trips, mm-hmm. um, and it's so you know I see that all the time. But um, so half of the people on the summit of of our Denali photo are dead, and then half of the people on the Aconcagua photo are dead, mm-hmm. just from you know they didn't die on the mountain. Yeah, uh, but from combat later on. So, um, and then in 2010, in 2010, they were going to go do another another mountain, and I was out at that time, and um, they actually invited me to go do it as a civilian. And uh, I don't know, I had something at work. I wasn't. Allowed, I didn't go do it, but you know, I don't think uh, any of us ever got all the seven summits done and you know maybe it's something i'll do someday yeah um, i was gonna ask you if you ever planned to i'm sorry i was gonna ask you if you ever plan to finish i don't i don't know i know enough i know enough guys who are climbers and just the i i, I there's a part of me that like kind of likes the idea but like also like to climb everest right i think you have to take two or three months off and come up with 60 to 80 grand. So it's not in the cards right now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah, kind of, nice you know, I'm, I'm pretty busy, uh, here these days Defy, uh, yeah. with Defy. So, which so, is great. I mean, you gotta have something to do and it's, it's important to have a job and pay for, you know, you know, be on a team and pay the bills and all that. So maybe someday. Yeah. And then, and, and, and this fitness, like, damn, like it's, it's, I already knew like it, we weren't gonna have enough time, man. You just got so much stuff, man. But so in this fitness world, you do some stuff with Mark Twight. You do some stuff with uh, Pavel Satsaline, and yeah. Um, so you, it's, that's a whole lot, you know, from the kettlebells to the uh, to to, the, to those other forms of training and stuff. It's so, another story we could tell. Another episode. Yeah, you have a whole another world of, of fitness. <laughs> so at some point, um, you talked about it. You get out the military. Uh huh. Um. Do you have like a good cushion of money? No. Okay. All right. So no. you so you got three kids. You didn't really plan for this. Boom, you out. Like, what are your thoughts now? 
Yeah. I mean, thankfully we had, a, you know, we had a little equity in our home uh-huh. um, when we sold it and um, used some of that and moved, moved to Denver and uh, just had to, you know, when your back's against a wall, you just find a way. Like I, I couldn't, I, I didn't have a college degree. Didn't know what I was going to do. I started to do some, um, I started to do some security consulting uh-huh. for corp- corporate entities. And, um, we tried to do some like security consulting and training for pro athletes that never took off. They didn't want it. Um, but we did a bunch of consulting for high net worth individuals and families and companies. And then along the way, when I was, uh, I was in the process of training a a guy who wanted to, you know, he wanted to have a, uh, he wanted to start carrying concealed, Mm -hmm. but he also wanted to get really good training prior to. Yeah. So I went to go, I went to go train him at a gun range and this gun range wouldn't allow us to draw from a holster or rapid fire. And I was explaining to the, to the range manager, like if you can't draw from a holster or rapid fire in training, how are you going to be prepared for a self-defense situation? And and he couldn't really answer me. So to long story short, the guy that I was trying to train in that skill set, uh, him and some of, you know, one other of his kind of uh, colleagues in Denver, they became investors in a gun range that we bought. Mm. So we bought a existing gun range and me and my business partner, we cleaned it up. We changed the ventilation system. We painted it and did all the work ourselves. Nice. It was a really old gun range. We fixed it up. We had a world-class ventilation, new targets, new target carriers, cleaned up the retail space. I mean, I literally installed all new toilets and light switches nice. in that pl- on my own, right? Because yeah. uh, I grew up on a farm. I can do that stuff. <laughs> anyway. And this, uh, is, this is Blue Core? Blue core. Yep. So we started that gun range to solve a problem. The problem was that you can't train realistically at any of these other gun Mm. ranges or gun clubs. So we had a process by which if once someone had been vetted as safe to draw from a holster or to kind of do the rapid fire, they would be able to do that on our range. So we managed that. Uh, we manage that nice. process very closely, but, uh, yeah, that's kind of how that, that's kind of how and why that happened. Is this also where the defy story starts for you? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, um, it's where I first met, uh, one of the founders of defy Bo Worley. So he's in, um, he's in YPO at the time, uh, young president's organization. It's like a kind of high-end business networking like group. And they are doing, they did a full day of, of firearms training and self-defense training at our gun range. And uh, that's how, that's how we met. And uh, we kind of stayed in touch um, ever since then. And, and 
there's a huge lesson lesson there because I, I at the time when they first approached us, uh, YPO, I was like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> like to set up this, we were going to close our range to the public and set up this complicated training day where, you know, I'd have to teach this class yeah. and that class. And then we have to go speak where, you know, our range made money just by keeping it open and having people use the gun, the lanes. Right. Mm-hmm. So this was going to be a lot of work. Of course we'd make money doing it, but it was going to be a lot of work, but, um, we did it. And I'm so glad we did because a, we learned a lot doing that. Uh, we more importantly, we helped other people, but you just never know. Like, and I tell this to veterans all the time, like when you're not sure when you're not a hundred percent sure what you're going to do, mm-hmm. like for a living and you get an app, an opportunity, like the answer almost always has to be yes. Cause you're really like, casting that net and figuring things out. And so the other thing is you just never know who you're going to meet yeah, or what will happen later. So I met a guy at an event um, that I taught firearms training and self-defense training at blue core, uh, a guy that we, that I stayed in touch with and became good friends with who later brought me onto the team at Defy. Yeah. Which is where I'm, you know, that was more than 10 years later. And now I have this awesome opportunity here at Defy um, because of that event that I almost didn't want to do. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, it, and he still thought about you. That trainer must have been amazing. <laughs> that well, trainer. <laughs> just that. The thing that he, you know, the thing that stuck out the most is so we had to all tell our stories. And yeah. I told my story about how I kind of got you know, catapulted out of the Navy with, you know, no, no pension, no, you know, no marketable skills, um, no way to support my family, um, or make a living or no idea what I was going to do. And, uh, you know, he was like, he was literally pissed off about that. He's like, this guy served his country and gets blown up and gets hurt in combat and they tell him he can't deploy anymore. And now, you know, I'm kicked out of the Navy and I don't have a way to support my family. So, and part of that's, you know, I'm, Hey, I don't, I do not have a victim mentality. Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to sit around and wait for, you know, Hey, I'm owed this. When am I going to get that or whatever? I just had to, there wasn't no time for that, right? I had a wife and three kids, so yeah. I just found a way, um, and I got lucky, of course. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just that, better be lucky. It's better to be lucky than good. Yeah, and I mean, and just that, just that will you got, and just the ability to just dive into things, and like, hey, I could do it. Like it was a story about what Jimmy Iovine, I think the Beatles needed somebody to like mix their music, and Jimmy Iovine never mixed music in his life. You know, and he's like, yeah, I'll do it. And now he's Jimmy Alvin. <laughs> you know crazy. what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, it's so much stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm going to run off a few randoms, but before I do run off some random questions for you, Defy, right? So you yeah. get it, you get it to, so I'm drinking right now. I'm drinking the, um, the, the alkaline water. water, right? I'm drinking alkaline water. It's pretty good. It's not available in my area. So I had to order it through Amazon. Oh. Yeah, it's not available in my area, so I had to order. We'll send you. I'll send you some uh, some samples. Okay, thanks. I appreciate it. But you got into it uh, through the CBD 
uh, products, correct? That's correct. You were you so, using them? Yeah. So it kind of started. Um, so I'm the COO now for Defy, and I, I actually originally started as um, so Bo and Megan and TD, the original founders of Defy. Um, one of the things they they knew they wanted to do early on was a a way to give back to veterans, uh-huh. and I was originally brought onto the team as the person who was going to vet different veteran service groups. Such like here's an example right here: Team Red, White, and Blue. Uh-huh. So I was vetting different groups uh, that would basically try to partner with Defy um, and become beneficiaries of what we are doing. So as an example, the water you're holding, if a portion of all proceeds of that bottle of water go to different charities Mm -hmm. and um, the military charity is the DAB. Mm -hmm. So a portion um, of every bottle of that sold goes to disabled American veterans who had helped me refile with the VA and helped me get the 100% disability. So back Back up, I was brought on to help vet different military groups. And at the time, Defy was only a CBD beverage, right? Um, we only had, and it was called Defy. Well, since that time, we've changed. Now our, our CBD beverage line is called Recover because uh, it's a recovery beverage. Um, we have some CBD supplements as well. So gummies and muscle tinctures. I'm sorry, muscle balm and then tinctures that you kind of like drops that you take. Uh, but we also launched uh, an energy drink called Boost and then the alkaline water. So we've nice. kind of expanded. We had to expand our product line because CBD is still not like authorized in every state. Um, and if we waited for that, like we would just kind of, if we were just a CBD company, like we'd be stuck. So CBD is how the company kind of got started and TD can, you know, he talks about his story and how CBD helped him. Um, CBD helped me a lot too, because, you know, I can't take, uh, I lost the kidney, so I can't really take meds other than like, I can't take aspirins and Motrins and all that. And I don't like to take a lot of Tylenol. Um, And veterans um, are, they're very good at abusing pain meds and sleeping meds. So mm-hmm. CBD has been a great, uh, it's been great for me uh, to help a relax at night um, helps with inflammation and, and that sort of thing. And then it also really helps with uh, being able to relax and fall asleep. And I can't take meds. So it kind of helps with all those things and our CBD importantly so you're allowed to have 0.03% THC in CBD and still have it be legally called CBD but ours is undetectable so it's 0.000% there's no THC in our CBD yeah and then where can people find defy at drinkdefy.com is the best website um and then it'll show cuz i don't know where all your listeners are but it'll show like certain products are available in certain stores and there's a map there that they can find, or of course you can buy them online. Yeah. So we talked about, 
you playing football. We talked about uh-huh. reform. We talked about seals. We talked about the five. We talked about climbing. We talked about blue court. Um, we haven't yet talked about you being a man of faith and growing up as a as a Christian because that plays a, a major part in you know in who you are as well. And um, I just had was that ever a struggle with being in the military and being a person of faith? Yeah, I think. You know, honestly, it, it's probably one of my biggest regrets. I've always been, you know, I've always been a believer. I've always been a Christian. I can't, ima- I can't remember not. Mm-hmm. Um, but for a period of time, you know, when I was younger, probably a young guy at Team 5, um, as I got older, I got more comfortable with it, you know. Um, but, you know, SEALs had the, the reputation you know, partying and, and being crazy and, you know, bar fights and getting in trouble and getting, you know, going out and like getting a DUI and like, and if you weren't doing that, it was like, Oh, what are you, what's your problem? Like, um, so, you know, um, there are a lot of us that I would say were, you know, were Christians and it was just less common to talk about it. I think now, people are more prone to talk about it anyway. Um, but I, uh, you know, I've always been a believer and, uh, as I got older and I met some other seals, you know, we would talk about it and become more comfortable with it. But, uh, and now it's, you know, I'm very comfortable talking about it and, you know, it's my number one identity. Um, so it, it's been a huge part of my life. It's gotten me through some very dark times. Um, and I think honestly, uh, I think it's the only sustainable way um, for people to get through, you know, whatever they saw or did in the military, because a lot of veterans try to, you know, medicate with booze or pills or maybe they find their therapy through fitness or outdoors and those that can work for a while um but like even fitness if you rely on fitness to be your um or exercise or activity to kind of like set you straight at some point you could get hurt you might not be able to do that workout or you might not be able to do that that even that walk, right? So that can be taken from you or just being outdoors. Those things are all helpful. But like the one thing I know I can do every morning is say a prayer and read the Bible. Right. Mm -hmm. And it just is my, you know, keeps me grounded, uh, keeps me grounded now. Yeah. So you've considered yourself a perfectionist before at some point in time in your life, right? Would you still consider yourself to be a perfectionist? You know, recovering perfectionist. Um, <laughs> so I catch myself every day, like, like trying to, oh, this isn't good enough. Right. Yeah. And then I'm like, wait, there. So it's a fine line, right? Like I, I do believe in excellence, right? Uh-huh. Putting your best foot forward. So if my boss wants this or if I'm working with someone on that or whatever, I'm going to, I'm going to do good work. Right. Yeah. And, good work is its own reward. And if you do your best, like doesn't matter. Uh, whoever's listening to this, if you're like a young kid still in the, in the Navy or whatever, and someone says, go, 
go clean that, you know, go clean that locker or go swab that deck or whatever. Like the number one thing you can do is everything you do, do your best because you'll constantly get rewarded. Right. Like, yeah. oh my gosh, this young sailor did so good at cleaning out this little locker or clean this whatever, like uh, on a ship. Yeah. If you do your best, if you commit to excellence, you're always going to get rewarded with more and more and better and better. But on the same token, like uh, there are times where my perfectionist um, attitude like slows me down, like, cause there are things you just got to do and get them done. And, uh, you know, so it's a fine line, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Cause my question for you is uh, you got four kids now and like, how has being a parent challenged that uh, perfectionism? Well, you just, again, like the house is going to be messier when you have four kids, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. And I've, you know, I kind of, I think the other day it kind of hit me where I was like, I kind of put myself in the future and I was thinking like, okay, when I'm, well, my wife and I will be empty nesters when we're like 51. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking of 52 year old Eric and how our house will probably be perfectly clean um, yeah. <laughs> with the kids out of the house. But then I was yeah. also like, when that day comes, I'm going to miss the chaos. Yeah. Like, so, and I had walked up to, we have a little loft upstairs where our girls kind of play and hang out. And sometimes it's just a disaster. And I walked up there. I'm like, it's kind of a, and my son's bedroom is the worst. Right. <laughs> but I just, I was I like, I had to like stop for a moment and realize, you know, the day is going to come where our house is perfectly clean and quiet. And I'm going to look back on this moment and be like sad. So yeah. I'm like, Hey, it's all right. Like, you know, it's just like, it doesn't, it's a little messy, but that's, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I got, I got like three more questions for you, man. Three yeah, more. It's all good. I got a million questions, but I'm going to ask three more. Uh, do you have any fears? Yeah, for sure. Uh -huh. Um, I think, you know, the first time I was hired to speak, someone asked me, um, they wanted me to do a speech about being fearless. Mm -hmm. And I sat down to write that speech and I was like, I can't do it. Like, cause I realized like I was afraid. Yeah. Like, and it's, it's okay. It's not that I wasn't afraid. Uh, it's how I dealt with it. Like courage is not the absence of fear. Mm-hmm. Bravery is not the absence of fear. Um, courage or bravery, you can use those words synonym synonymously. It's doing what must be done in spite of being afraid. So fear is not a good thing because you have to have fear to have courage. Yeah. And we celebrate courage. We celebrate, we celebrate bravery. So I don't think fear is a bad thing. We all are afraid of something. And if you're not, you're just a psychopath. So yeah. Um, <laughs> What am I afraid of? Oh, man. Um, you could just pick one. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. I mean, honestly. I'm afraid, I, I, of, you know. I'm afraid of like human-sized spiders, like the Harry Potter spiders. Like, I'm afraid of them. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I don't, I don't have any desire right now to go jump out of an airplane anymore. Right? Okay. Like, yeah. Like, it's not that I'm super afraid of heights, but I'm just like, you know, I'm probably not going to do that on the weekend anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wouldn't bungee um, jump. 
I wouldn't bungee jump. No, I don't think I'd do that. I think I checked that <laughs> box. Um, you know, I'm I'm afraid of. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm definitely a. You know, there's times when I'm afraid of failure. Yeah, which I think, I think that's a good and a bad thing. Uh-huh. It's it's again, fear is not. Um, it's neither good or bad. It's how you deal with it, and if you're it's kind of like a, it's kind of a fine line, right? Like a mountaintop that you walk. And if you're, if you're not, a, if you're not at all afraid of failure, you might not try hard enough. Yep. Right. Whereas, but if you're too afraid to fail, you won't start. You won't try at all. Yep. So there's a fine line there where some fear, some fear of failure is good and too much is really bad. Yeah, I, I call it like just having like healthy fear. My next question: yeah. Do you have a good? Because I know you're pretty healthy. Um, like you were doing like th- like these like diets and all types of stuff. So, do you have a guilty pleasure food? Like, what do you eat? Oh, yeah. that you <laughs> What is it? <laughs> so we are. My wife and I are like we've always done a Sunday as our splurge day. So we try to eat really, eat really healthy. Uh, most of the week, but on Sunday, mm-hmm. it's like kind of like I'll eat anything, not anything, but I love kind of depends on the time of year. You know, on Sunday, I love a onion rings and a hamburger and an ice cream cone. Like that's yeah. my favorite. Like that's my Sunday go-to meal. Traffic. Like <laughs> getting like onion rings as an appetizer, a you know, a, a huge burger and, uh, and then coleslaw or Reuben. I love a Reuben. Yeah, football season, we love having pizza on Sunday. Um, And once in a while, you know, maybe on Father's Day, we'll go to brunch and I'll get pancakes. I I can eat like we have this restaurant, these huge pancakes, and I get like two of these huge pancakes. And every time I order them, I eat an entire bottle of syrup. So yeah, yeah, I gotta eat a lot of syrup with pancakes. I can I can eat literally these two pancakes with a full bottle of syrup, and then it it uh, soaks away, right? It disappears. Syrup goes somewhere that I don't know where it goes. (laughs) Right, it's not going to my belly, right? Yeah, it's going right. Yeah, definitely, (laughs) it's definitely going to my blood sugar numbers. So you know, but I do that once in a while. I you know, or Mexican food, chips and salsa is love it. Like hard to say no to. and I mostly make coffee at home, right? And I drink coffee at home every morning. Mm-hmm. But on Sundays, I get like a quad, a quad shot mocha <laughs> uh, okay. from which my wife calls mocha Sundays. So I go to Starbucks in the morning and get the girls whatever they want and come home with some sandwiches and my mocha. So that's guilty pleasure. So we just thought about guilty pleasure. I think it's only right for me to say First uh, Corinthians 13, verse 4 through 8. Like, what does that mean to you? God gave us a bunch of different things like faith, hope, and love are some good things. But what's the, you know, but the greatest of these is, is love. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So I've, I've like, when I read that, and for me, it's like, hey, my father in law, he once said, like, 
you know, for when he got, when he got marriage advice from, I think from his mom or something, he was like, she had said, just love one another. Mm -hmm. And I'm always kind of like, well, what does that mean? Like, how do you do that? Like, so I've always been like looking for like, how do you kind of, and there's different kinds of love, obviously like the kind of romantic love you have for your wife versus like the love you have for your kids versus, you know, the love you have for your neighbor, like love thy neighbor. Right. So for me though, like if I know like, Hey, what love looks like, it's especially with, you know, with your family, like patient and kind, um, not envying what others have, not boasting, not being arrogant or rude. And, you know, just basically, um, not being selfish, right. Like Mm -hmm. not, pursuing things purely for selfish ambitions and stuff. So to me, it, you know, that's kind of what it means to me. That's like kind of the, like the definition of biblical love. Yeah. One, one definition. Yeah. So my last question for you, right. Just to kind of cap off the nine lives, the big fish and everything like that. Do you, (laughs) do you know what's next? Or are you just ready to dive in whenever it comes? Ah, that's such a good question. I I don't ever know what's next. I, you know, <laughs> honestly, it's it's good to have a plan, right? Like uh-huh. I can sit here and tell you that my plan is this. My plan is that this is what happens with Defy. We're going to mm-hmm. go, we're going to do this. We're going to be the next, whatever, Gatorade or Red Bull or whatever. Like, I hope that's what's next. Um, yeah. Or I have this plan for what we're, what we're going to, you know, me and my wife and kids are going to do, or this is my plan. Like I have all these plans, right. For, everything from work to family to fitness or whatever. And I mean, I've learned that, you know, my plans don't always come true. Yeah. Um, And that doesn't make like very important quote for me. I think it was Eisenhower who said like plans are worthless, but planning is priceless. Mm. So I believe it's important to have a plan but don't fall in love with it because if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plan. Yeah. That just and, happened to me. And that, well, what happened to you? I, uh, uh, I asked the Navy if I could leave shore duty a year early. And right after they said, yes, my wife got pregnant for, oh. and this would, be, this would be our first baby coming off of having like the miscarriage. Like a baby is like what I want, like the most. And I asked the Navy, I I said, hey, I'm going to leave a year early. And the Navy said, yes, my wife got pregnant and it's a high-risk pregnancy. So God was laughing at my plans. Oh. Yeah, he was laughing at my plans. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes it's, uh, I think it's it's important to have a plan and, and believe and some structure. Like, hey, this is my plan for the day. But it's, I always have to be, I, I try to build some margin in my day and in my life for things that come up. Like whether it's like this, when 
a month ago doing this interview was not in my plan. And I'm, yeah. you know, I, I build margins so that when things come up, I can do them. Uh, and inevitably, um, like this morning, my son, who's he's he's on va- not vacation, but he's on a school trip, and they're in they're in Paris right now. And he nice. uh, he called me this morning, and like I'm in the middle of like doing like a morning workout, and uh, he needed me. He needed my help because his the credit card I gave him wasn't working, and he couldn't get into the Eiffel Tower. So whatever. <laughs> like yeah. long story short, if I'm like. No, my plan is I'm doing my workout right now. You can bother me later. Yeah. yeah. Well, then he he would have missed that, right? So I think it's, you know, discipline's great and you have to have your plan and you have to you have to like make time to work out, make time to do this and you have to have an idea of how your career's going to go or whatever. Like but you also have to stay you can't be so rigid that you're not um, able to deal with reality because, you know, nothing happens in a vacuum, right? Yeah. Like every, there's so much chaos and you have to be calm and you have to be able to deal with, you know, deal with the plan uh, as it or deal with reality as it changes, right? The no plan that we ever had in combat ever survived first contact with the enemy. Like, cause the enemy gets a vote too, or the world gets a vote and you got to be flexible. Yes. So my plans right now are to work today and, uh, maybe do a, a workout with the kids and make a steak tonight. <laughs> Let's go. Hey, Eric, man. Thanks. Man. I, appreciate you. I appreciate this conversation. Um, I'm ready for 10 more. If, if we could get right. you back on, if we could get you back on, I'm ready for 10 yeah. more of these, man. But I appreciate talking it. to you. Have a good one, man. Have a good one uh, to you, your family and everything. Have a good one. And um, uh, we will be watching to see what's next. Uh, I will continue to drink this because I really like it. And when I get out, I might try the CBD stuff too. Do it. <laughs> All right, man.